Welcome back to Aliyah Yomi. Today we're going to be learning together Vayishlach Shishi, the sixth Aliyah in Parshas Vayishlach. It is a long Aliyah. It is on the topic of three different topics. One is the death of Rachel and the birth of Binyamin, Ruvain's son and Esav's family. It's a long Aliyah. It runs from Perak Lamed Hey Pasuk Yudbeis to Perak Lamed Vov Pasuk Yudtes. It is a total of 37 Sokim in whole. Let's take a look at the basic outline of the Aliyah and we'll try to ad address some of the major issues in our Aliyah. So we're here the following, that Hashem is in the middle of giving the bracha to Yaakov. He says to him, I'm going to give you this land and to your, your generations after you. I will give this and Yaakov at this point in time sets up a matzeva, which is a standing pillar. It's a form of place where you sacrifice. And, uh, and he brings a nesech, a libation of it, of oil upon it. And he calls the place that Hashem appeared to him, Beis El. This is the completing of the circle of having left the land of Canaan. Okay, they now leave Beis El. They go a small way towards Ephras, Kivras Eretz. And Rachel goes into labor, into childbirth, and is having great difficulty. In this, the Mialedes, the midwife tells her, don't worry, this is a, you're going to have another son. But she ends up dying in the process of childbirth and calls her son that she bears in this process, Ben-Oni. And the father, Yaakov, calls him Ben-Yamin. This is the 12th son that Yaakov Avino has. So Rachel is then buried there on the way to Ephrat, and that's the area of what's called Beis Lechem, Bethlehem, and, uh, and that's, that's where Yaakov settles down for just a little bit. And um, while this is going on, we hear this very curious Pasuk in Pasuk Chav Beis, Vayelech Ruven Vayishkav is Bilha, Pilegesh Aviv. Reuven lies with Bilha, the, the concubine of his father, and Israel hears, and uh, and the children of Yaakov are twelve. Ayub and Yaakov Shlemas are very curious pasuk, and we hear a summary of all the children of Yaakov. Then Yaakov of Avinu actually arrives back home in the area of of Mamre, which is by Kiryas Arba, and he meets his father again after this these many decades of separation, and we hear about the death of Yitzhak at the age of 180 years old, and he pa he passes away, Zakein, the Savayomim, elderly and satiated in days, and he and Yaakov, Esav and Yaakov bury him. So that's the that's the end of this major section, but then there's one last section starting from Pasuk, from Perek Lamedvav, we hear about the Toldos Esav, the generations of Esav, we hear a long extended list of his wives, we hear about uh, and and Alivama, um, and we hear about Bosmas, we hear about the children they have, and we hear in this whole description over here that Esau takes all his children, his sons, his daughters, um, to the land of Seir because he sees that there's not enough space for both Yaakov and himself to be in the area of Canaan, and he goes off to the area of Seir, renaming it Edom as well. And then we hear a bit of the names of his children, his grandchildren. We hear that he also, that Eliphaz has a, a Pelegesh, a concubine called Timna. She has a child called Amalek. And we hear all the different names on the family tree of these different um, children and their chieftains, the Alufim as well. That's the end of the Aliyah. I'm not going to get into the specifics of every name right now, just the sake of looking at it from a perspective of a survey. So a few basic points to ponder. Number one is, is this notion of a matseva. A matseva literally means a, a standing stone or a, a, a single rock. And it is interesting that it appears twice in Aralia, once as a form of an altar upon which Yaakov sacrifices this libation and once as also the tombstone of 
Yirachel. What is interesting is that if you fast forward to Parashas Shoftim, Kodesh Baruch Hu then says in commanding Israel in the future, do not establish for yourself a matzeva as a form of altar, because Hashem hates it. Well, how could Hashem hate it if, he, if it was all right for Yaakov in it to do it? He used it as his very, um, the, the, the means to which to um, sacrifice to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So Rav Moshe Feinstein, in, the, in his uh, Pirish on the Torah, says a very beautiful thing. He writes the following. He says that, that you know, when, when looking at how we achieve in life, the way that we're supposed to be oriented is towards the future. We're supposed to be always thinking, not what we've done and accomplished, but what is it possible for us and what is our mission to accomplish in, in going, going forward. And a matseva, in a certain sense, is it comes from the word nitzav, to stand. And standing is essentially looking back and saying, wow, look at the vista of what I have climbed up to now. That is not appropriate when a person is a Baruch Yuva. Once the Torah was given, we are all B'nai Chiyuvah. We all have a responsibility to be doing more. And if we're alive, it's a sure sign that we have more work to be done, to be doing. But in the times of the Avos, in the times of the, the, the patriarchs, there were no mitzvahs. There was no commands. They were intuiting what it was that Hashem wanted. And it was appropriate to have matzeva, the form of service, we're looking back and seeing, wow, I've come full circle. Look, I went all the way to Lavon and I succeeded. It's possible to look back and get a sense of pride. But that's not the mode of service that we as Jews today. The only time that we can use a matzeva, says Rav Moshe, is the very end of our life as a tombstone. That's the appropriate time to say, wow, let's look back. Let's remember what the accomplishments of that person are as well. Rav Hirsch also points out the difference between uh, a Mizbech, which is man-made, and a Matzeh, which is God-made, is also an important distinction to be had over here as well. Let's move on. What is the meaning of the name that Rachel gives to her second son? She calls him Ben-Oni. So Ben Ezra says it comes to the word um, Oni as in mourning, that's acute state of mourning. Why? Because she's dying. She realizes she is dying. And as she says this, in a certain sense, a very painful statement, she says, this is the son of my death. The Bukhar Shor, the Rav Yosef Bukhar Shor, one of the Rishonim, also explains that it's the expression of pain, Lashon Sa'ar. So she's expressing the son was born to me in great pain, great suffering, great cost. Um, in fact, it could not just be referring to a current moment, but the Daesa Kenim, the Bukhar and the Balayatosis, actually explain that it's referring to a future incident in which she is intuiting or she has prophecy towards, and that's going to be a moment of Pilegesh Begiva, the end of Sefer Shoftim. For those who learn Sefer Shoftim, Lenach, a very important point, a part of our basic Judaism. When we get to the end of Sefer Shoftim, there's a terrible incident in which Binyamin is isolated from the rest of the tribes and almost completely wiped out in a civil war. And at that moment, she's referring to Benoni, the suffering, the Avelos in the future that she's referring to. However, on a more positive angle, the Haimek Dawa says it also comes to the word on, which means koach, strength. So what she's saying is, I'm using all my last strength in life to produce this child. He's the son of my strength. I'm giving him everything I have in order that he should continue. An experience that many parents have in so many different ways about the sacrifices they make so their children can do just better than where their station are, is right now. Now, let's move to the next name. What is the meaning of bin yamin? So Rashi says it means from the word yamin to the right. Well, the right actually means Darum, south, because the general orientation is, is that facing the east with the back to the west, and therefore the south is to the right. So why the right, why the south? The south is seen as a positive direction. Evil usually extends from the north, certainly in Israel that's the, the case. 
and it's not just a geographic direction, it's a metaphysical direction. So he says, the son of blessing, which is to be found in the south, wisdom. The Chizkuni says, no, it's a Ben Yamin. It means to say, he's a son of days. He's the son of my old age. He's going to be able to be the one who's going to support me. He's going to look after me. As I grow older, he'll be youthful and fresh and vibrant, and he'll be the one who's going to be by my side. Ben Yamin, the son of my days. Bukhar Shor says, it's not that Yaakov is trying to change what Rachel said, but he's trying to pivot it slightly. So therefore, if you think about this the way the, the, the Malbim explains it is, it could also mean that Yamin means the right hand, as in his stronger hand, metaphorically. So what Rachel was saying was, I gave my last strength as this child was born. And Yaakov is saying he's the son of my right hand, therefore extending her idea just in a more positive direction as well. It's worthwhile noting there's another interesting comment that's made by the Chida over here, and that is, is that Rachel, perhaps in her expression of bitterness, was saying, maybe the reason why this child, why I'm going through this, why I'm dying, is because Yaakov was not supposed to be married to two sisters. That's Torah law. The Torah hasn't been given yet, but there were certain ideas which they understood were to be were true. And Rachel is thinking, perhaps this is why it is that I'm not living. Whereas Yaakov is saying, no, the reason why that it, that it was not a problem was when we were in Chutzlaret, so the Ramban explains, when we were in the diaspora, the, the, these laws of the Torah were not extant in the same way as moving back. And so what he was essentially doing was giving us strength and saying this is not as a function that we did something bad. And it's in a certain sense, as they move into the land of Israel, that is the place where that is no longer a possibility of the marriage of two sisters. But um, up to now, everything has been correct. That's what the part of the, the discussion around the name is, is about the validity of the marriage as well. Now, why was Rachel buried here and not in Ma'ara Samach Pela? Why did Yaakov not take her there? After all, this is the wife he worked for, the wife he so wanted. Why? So the Haimek Dara says, because of the concern of Halana Sames. There's a concern not to leave over a body for too long a period of time. And he was not right there. It would take too long to get there. So he needed for the sake of Kavarames. And this is a sacrifice that many people make. Sometimes it means that somebody's not at the funeral. Sometimes it means it's not in the right place or the same place, the expected place. But there's a notion of Kavarames, of what's the honor to the de departed and done in the right way. The Malum says the reason is because this was just out in the section of Binyamin. She is being buried in what would be the future plot of land that's given to Binyamin. That was the most appropriate place for the mother, the matriarch, to be buried in her son's portion, the son that she bore in this death. The Rosh explains it based on the Medrash that in fact the reason why she's buried here is because it's a gateway of leaving Yerushalayim, as we know today, if anybody has visited Kever Rachel, and that she is going to be the one who prays when her children when the Bnei Israel leave in Golisk to exile, she's going to be Mavakar Abonel, Rachel Mavakar Abonel, as Yirmiyahu says. And the reason why she's put on the, on the way is to pray for her children as well. So Yaakov knew that she would be doing this. As you want to go into, into a deeper understanding, the Zohar actually says in Pasha's Vayera, a very beautiful, beautiful idea uh, in Vayera, that, um, that Rachel and Leah are two worlds. One is Amor de Iskasia and one is Amor de Iskalia, the revealed world and the hidden world. Leah was the Amor de Iskasia, the hidden world, and, um, and Rachel was the revealed world. There's many expressions of this, but one of the expressions of it is that Rachel is buried out in the open on the side of the road, and Leah is buried inside, internally in the Mara Samachpela. And Rachel's out facing or turning is outward, which is why her son, Yosef, is going to be an outward facing Jew, whereas Yehuda is going to be an inward facing Jew when it comes to Leah's children as well. And that's part of the ideological battle they have with each other as well. 
Move on into the next point. What was that Reuven actually did? So Rashi quotes the Chazal Gemara in Shabbos on Daf Nun Hamel Aleph, which says, "Kol Omer Reuven Chata Eno Elatoya." Anybody who says that Reuven actually sinned, meaning he had a relationship with his father's wife, is incorrect. What this is referring to is is that he got involved in his father's marital um, um, habits. And the Rashi gives the background to this, and that is that after Rachel died, which is immediately as the Salia is describing, Yaakov you know, felt he nostalgically he wanted to have more relationship with Bill, the maidservant of Rachel, almost in a way of trying to bring back or maintain some of the memory of Rachel. But Reuven, the firstborn of Leah, felt this was unbecoming, this was not appropriate when his, his mother, who was really the primary wife, should be having more attention given to her. So he moved his father's bed. The Rosh gave another explanation that perhaps he used to lie on Bila's bed in a certain sense, shaming his father not to come to Bilha in this respect and thereby um, forcing his father's hand, which is inappropriate for a child to be doing. Um, and this is, con- this is considered a, a grave sin on Ruben's part, something that he actually forfeited part of his Bechorah, his firstborn right, because of. Which explains actually the next in the end of the Pasuk, which is given its own paragraph, which is, that the children of Yaakov were, the sons of Yaakov were 12, indicating that despite the fact, and the one way you could read this is, that there, there are no more children at this point, or you could read it as that Reuven is still included in the count, unlike Yishmael and Esau who sinned and were out of the fold, yet Reuven was still in the fold despite his sins. He was still one of the B'nai Yisrael. Two more questions and we'll close this idea. Why are the children of Esau I've mentioned here? Why do we give such long amount of time and text to the children of Esau? The Bible now says, well, we just heard about the death of Yitzhak. So now we hear about his descendants. So first Esau, and then the Toldos of Yaakov begins in Parsha Sayyashah. That's how Bible now is understanding it. The Bechor Shor explains that Esau assessed that after his, the death of his father, the land could not hold both of them, so he opted out. So this is an exp- expression of the Achuza, the Nachla, the land that they're going to be inheriting. So he moved to Seir, Yaakov moved to the land of Canaan, so we need to hear about that as well. We need to hear about the extent of his family in order to corroborate that as well. The Bereskarov points out on the Haggadah that the, in order to acquire the land of Israel, the, the, that that part of the family that would do that would need to go through the Kura Barzal, the smelting pot of Egypt, the Golos, and Esau was not ready for that journey, which is why he went for the easy path to Seir, but Yaakov continued because he needed to go through this very difficult crucible in order to get there. That's why in the Haggadah we say, I took your father, Avraham Ever Anar, I gave Yaakov to Yitzchak, I gave Esau to Yitzchak, and I gave Yaakov and his children, they went down to Mitzrayim. In other words, the rite of passage to the land of Israel would be going down to Mitzrayim, whereas Esau took the easy route, which would therefore not entitle him to the, to the land of Egypt. Of of Israel as well. One last comment which is worthwhile noting from the genealogy here, you see here, you see a very shocking idea and that we hear that Timna Hosa Pilegesh, that Timna was in fact the Pilegesh of Eliphaz. What is the story behind this as well? So the Gemara tells us a very shocking thing and that is, is that actually um, Timna had wanted to marry into the family of, of Yitzchak and, and she came from a great and very uh, illustrious family but um, she was rejected. And when she came to Yitzhak and Yaakov, she was not allowed, she was not accepted. And so she decided she'd be a concubine, a lesser form of marriage with 
Esav, so as long as she could be part of the Abrahamic dynasty. Well, she was the mother of Amalek, and Amalek, in a certain sense, was born with this complex of rejection. He was born, and as the Midrash says, the Gemara says in Sanhedrin, Tzadi Tesson Beis, Tetziarinu Yisrael. Why? They should not have pushed her out that much. So in a certain sense, not to blame the victim, but there is a certain aspect of the not welcomeness that Timna felt and that being actually part of a pregnancy, part of the bringing of this child into the world, a child which would perpetually and perennially persecute the nation of Israel as a function of this as well. With this, we close the sixth Ali. In the meantime, have a wonderful, meaningful day.